Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Freedom Talks podcast. This is Brady, and today I'm back on with Molly Ripberg. Uh, she's a physical therapist in our clinic, um, and we work very closely together. Uh, we did kind of one of these COVID type updates uh, kind of at the beginning, kind of just talking through uh, what we were doing and what our clinics were doing and kind of talking about the uncertainty that everybody was facing. And I think um, everybody at least has a plan now. Um, business is a little bit back to, to normal. We're recording on June 19th. And so, um, you know, we're, our, our clinic is getting a little bit busier and uh, safer at ho- home order has ended. And, and since that's ended, we've seen uh, a bit of an uptick in patience. And um, we just kind of want to talk through kind of like what we're doing now and uh, what we're seeing in the clinic and the precautions that we're still taking and how we kind of plan to move forward, or at least how we think we're going to move forward. Uh, Molly, how are you doing today? I'm good. So, you know, <clears throat> I'm not treating patients in the clinic like you are. Um, I guess what is just the, the general morale or what is the general thought on the patients that are coming in um, to see you and talking with the other therapists, what have, what have you heard around the clinic in terms of, uh, you know, are, are people in just because they absolutely have to be, um, or are they just a little bit more comfortable now? So, you know, during the Safer at Home initiative, I think most of the clients or patients that we were seeing in the clinic were mostly like they needed it. It was essential. Um, it was, you know, they had just had knees done or shoulders done. Um, or we're having like an acute issue. And one of the the big reasons that um, Freedom Physical Therapy Services and other PT clinics stayed open during um, that Safer at Home initiative is we were trying to take um, the not like emergency room um, cases away from the hospitals to try and ease um, the the overflow or ease um, the flooding of patients to the hospitals. So Um, We tried to really just kind of work with um, the kind of acute patients that needed treatment um, kind of right away during the Safer at Home initiative. And then as things have eased up, as restrictions um, have gone away, as openings of cities and areas have um, increased, we've we've seen a return of patients that um, it's not necessarily that, you know, they have an ankle that's, you know, four times the size of it you know, what it should be right now and that they have emergency issues. Um, We're starting to see more of our um, regular patients come back, more just kind of orthopedic issues. Um, We have seen quite an increase in people that have overdone it or have overuse injuries from the time that they were at home. They thought, oh, I'll start a new exercise program or um, I'll take, you know, a three mile walk every day and those sorts of things that their body might not have been used to. they're starting to feel it now a couple months after they started it. And so they've been in our clinic um, just with those common kind of tendonitis or overuse injuries. Yeah. And I think to a, you know, a certain extent, even though we're seeing some of those patients that aren't uh, necessarily uh, critical that they need treatment right now or right this moment, um, I would say, you know, the, the point about staying away from the hospitals, that's still not necessarily a place you want to go first, If especially if you know there's no huge underlying cause or it's not an emergency, just just to be safe, right? You know, the, yeah. there's direct access for a reason. 
Um, it's cheaper anyway, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what, what we're talking about, whether we're in this pandemic or not. And, and hospitals are also not necessarily the most germ-free places to begin with. Um, well, and yeah, and the, I mean, a great thing too is that um, with our physical therapy and even occupational training, um, we are able to differential diagnose patients. So if you come in and you're like, eh, you know, should I go to the hospital? Should I not? You know, I think I might have, did I tear my ACL? Did I, you know, if you're, if you're questioning it or did I break something, you know, unless it's blatant that your, you know, bone is sticking out, but you're not sure. And you're, you're kind of questioning, do I really want to go to the hospital or take that increased risk by going to the hospital? Um, that's our job is to figure out what we can within our scope of practice treat you for. And when we say, mm, this isn't quite right, I think you need to go see the doctor or you need to go get imaging. Um, and that's what we're trained to do. So we're kind of a great starting place to kind of triage um, your problems or your symptoms. Yeah. And then to touch on the other point that you made about the overuse injuries and uh, everybody kind of trying to be healthier and create good habits during the pandemic, which is very noble. And um, you you should obviously set out to do that and set those goals. But uh, yeah, when your body is sedentary for a long time, or you're not doing what you should be for a long period of time, and then all of a sudden you ask your body to do all that stuff, it doesn't necessarily respond the best always. But um, I think the nice thing is, is that those people that did, that did do those, you have those overuse injuries from, uh, their time during the pandemic where they were kind of locked at home or only able to work out at home or outside. And, um, I, I think we're able to take care of those in a pretty, uh, I wouldn't say quick, but you know, in a few visits they're at least back to activity and, and what they want to do and continue on with those goals, which is nice that they're able to continue working towards those healthier lifestyles, but also feel good in the process. Yeah. And and to add to that too, is that, you know, it's one of those things that if you let kind of like one of those tendonitis problems, just kind of fester and keep kind of walking on it or working out on it, it's going to keep bothering you and being angry. So taking, you know, a week to come in and usually it's a week or two. And sometimes we can send you just home with exercises or a a different plan of attack where you can continue to stay active, but you do it differently. Um, you can continue on that active, healthy lifestyle that you maybe have just set in, in the last couple of months. Um, and we don't really have to take a huge break from exercise if we can modify it for you. Yeah. I mean, I've, I was playing hockey this morning and, um, there was a guy that said, Oh yeah, I started running like three to five miles again. And I, the the guy is pretty active and obviously plays hockey and, um, he lifts weights and all that things. But he's like, I, I haven't ran in like 15 years, but decided to start running again. And I'm like, well, you know, I I can't tell you what to do, but I would recommend going in and seeing somebody because, you know, you're out here playing hockey, so it's clearly not that bad that it's sidelining you from doing everything you want, but you don't necessarily have to feel so bad about it if you just, you know, go in for a few visits and take care of it, so. Yep, prevention is usually the best medicine and keeps you 
doing what she want to do. Yep. Um, so I guess let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we've made some changes to the way we do things in the clinic in terms of um, everyone's wearing masks. Uh, we don't require that our patients wear masks, um, but I would say the majority of them are. And we strongly encourage our patients yes. to wear masks, but it is not a requirement for them to come in. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been kind of a tough go between for us because you know on one hand we know the CDC has found that it's helpful in reducing transmission. Um, and it's very unlikely if both uh, people are asymptomatic or don't have symptoms and are both wearing a mask, so your probability of transmission is extremely low. Um, so just reducing those airborne particles, um, especially when you're, you're in treatment and you are up close and, and working with somebody touching them, um, it does help, I think, you know, according to what we know. Um, mm -hmm. But... It's, it's, it's tough because we don't want to tell those people that are like, I absolutely will not have a mask to then refuse treatment to them. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I, I guess I, I don't, I don't have to treat. So, you know, I'm not directly on the front lines. So, you know, my, I guess my opinion is just that it's an opinion. So what, what do you think on it? Um, you know, I am both in the workplace and at home, I am a mask believer. Um, I think that, you know, and I, I tell people too, that I don't want to transmit it to you. So it's not just, um, you know, that you're trying to, to knock anybody or you think that they're, they're not healthy, but it's, it's a way to protect each other and to kind of take care of each other. Um, I will treat patients that prefer not to wear a mask, but I will always be wearing a mask. And I also, if patients ask me, I will put gloves on um, to work on them. Um, I know that gloves necessarily aren't, um, you know, the CDC has found that wearing gloves doesn't necessarily prevent anything, but if that makes them feel better, um, it's definitely something that I'm willing to do. I know that I've um, really tried to work on um, bringing patients to like our private treatment rooms as much as we can. Um, and spreading patients out within the clinic. So at our Fox Point clinic, we have three um, larger um, treatment gyms that have our plinths and our high-low tables on it. And I will, you know, try and go into, you know, if there's someone in our first room, I'll try and take them to our second room, you know, just trying to kind of spread people out so that um, kind of our usual clinic look is just a little bit more spacious and spread out between patients. Um, and I think, I think it helps the patient feel safe. And plus we don't need to be on top of each other right now. I mean, the big thing is just trying to give each other space. And um, when I'm treating a patient, I obviously, um, if I'm doing manual work on them, I can't be six feet away because I can't work on them then. Um, but, you know, like as we're doing exercises and working in the clinic on different pieces of equipment, you know, trying to, to honor that six foot space and, and trying to give each other just more space, even, um, you know, other patients and clients um, and therapists that are working that, you know, they, they're in a different area too, that we're not overcrowding any area. Yeah. So talking to a few PTs, they, you know, my wife's an occupational therapist and so, you know, she said that she's had, uh, you know, 
patients kind of all over the board in terms of what their opinion is on space and are they comfortable and are they not comfortable? Um, and, and she, in terms of like, some patients are like, eh, I don't, I don't really care what the, what the environment looks like or, uh, how close the next person that's getting treated is. Um, and then you have others that are like, I, I would really, I really need a treatment room. Um, I don't really want to be near any other patients that aren't wearing masks. Um, and I think to a good extent, we're able to honor whatever they would like. Um, obviously yep. we're going to try to space them out regardless. Um, but there, there are ways that we've made it work for patients that again, are really cautious, or maybe they're in a higher risk category, um, for contracting or complications if they do contract, uh, yep. the disease. And so, yep. you know, we have, so we have four locations. Um, McGuanago is a very small location. So I would say the, the, the most, amount of patients you're going to have in at one time is two that are being treated at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and at our Grafton location, we have an abundance of private treatment rooms that they've been utilizing. And, uh, the times that I've been out there, I don't think the patients really wait at all in the waiting room. Uh, an aide comes and takes them directly back. And we've been trying to do that at all our locations. It's just especially easy in Grafton. Um, and then in Brookfield, um, the way it's set up is it's, I think they take patients back to private treatment rooms just because that's, what's more available than the, I think there's only two tables out in the gym area. So most of the patients are treated in the rooms anyway. Um, and only one person out in the main gym. Um, Mm -hmm. and then at Fox point, it's our busiest clinic. Um, and so, like you said, we have those three areas in our four treatment rooms. Um, and we just have to be, I guess, a little bit more, cognizant of where the patients are, how many people are in a room at one time, making sure our waiting room doesn't get crowded. But I think we're doing a really good job of it um, just because we're, we're keeping on top of it. So that, and I mean, we have, especially at our Fox Point clinic, which is the busiest clinic. um, What's really nice about us is that we have therapists that treat early in the morning and we have therapists that treat later in the day. And those two areas first thing in the morning and kind of like last appointments of the day are tend to be when our clinics are the quietest. So we have actually um, shifted some of our patients that were still um, uncertain or just more hesitant to want to be around other people to coming in at 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock or 6.30 at night when our clinic tends to be slower anyways. And that way they have the space that they that they need and that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the important part. Well, I mean, just in general, staying busy for a a private PT clinic so far, what I've seen is about keeping patients comfortable. Obviously we want to keep everybody safe to the, the best extent that we can do. Um, but they really have to be comfortable. Um, and I think, yeah, we've, we've just tried to do that on a patient by patient basis, find out what their needs are, um, and, and act accordingly. Yep. And I mean, I think that's, what's so great about freedom in that we are a privately independently owned clinic where we can kind of cater to the patient's needs. And that's what's special about us is that, um, we're willing and able to take those extra steps to make 
our patients feel comfortable, um, not just during this time, not during the pandemic, but in, in overall, all the time, um, is that we, we can take those extra steps to, to, to do the, the extra things that patients know and will um, appreciate as um, caring steps. So I want to transition a little bit. Um, at, at the beginning of the COVID-19 response, just about every business, no matter if you were in healthcare um, or if you were a restaurant, um, you had to kind of make a bit of a pivot in terms of if you were going to make it through the period of time where not everybody was coming in, your business is extremely reduced, you, the, the customer base just isn't there, um, you can't do what you normally would do. And so everybody had to make a big, bit of a pivot. And I think in the healthcare world, um, that pivot was to telehealth services or, or video call services. And we saw very quickly that a lot of health insurance companies, including Medicare, for a little bit, uh, were approving telehealth visits um, to be covered by insurance. Uh, I guess what I want to know is how has that experience been? We didn't do a ton of telehealth beforehand. Um, how is the patient experience different for you and have they been successful, uh, ideal or not ideal? Kind of just walk me through that. So, um, up until the whole pandemic started, um, most of us in the clinic had never done a telehealth visit, um, just because the nature of being a physical or an occupational therapist is, um, to be hands-on and that's what we do. Um, so it was initially the telehealth was different just because you really had to think closely and talk your patients through things, um, that you would just kind of do in the clinic. Like you would just put your hands on them and be like, okay, can you feel that rotation or, um, you know, that sort of thing. So it was a little bit different, but honestly, once we got into it and I had patients that were doing it on, you know, twice a week, kind of like we were doing their regular PT sessions that they would have been in the clinic for. Um, we kind of got in the groove of it and it was nice. Um, you know, it, it made it so that my patients that have like accessibility issues where they either have to have someone drive them to therapy or coordinate their therapy um, to have someone take them or just, you know, um, being able to get out of the house or they're taking care of other people in the house. So it's hard for them to step away. Um, it made it really easy. And I feel like um, I had, we had a really good positive impact because I was able to actually see them in their home doing their exercises, which is something that we don't really get to see. Usually when I'm treating in the clinic, I will go through exercises in the clinic. I will print them off their home exercise program and send them on their way um, to do it when they're not in the clinic. And some patients are good about it. Some are bad. Some are like, I don't really know how to do it at home. It's a different space. Um, so we could really work through like, okay, show me what you're doing, where you're doing it. And I could be like, okay, can you try, you know, moving your foot or your leg up, or let's try it in a different position that will get that stretch differently on the surface you're at. Um, so we had some really great success with it. Um, we aren't doing as much telehealth now just because the clinic is busier and people are more willing to come in. Um, 
but telehealth is still available for all insurances, I believe, um, except Medicare and maybe a couple others. But um, that's a kind of a cool thing that came out of all of this is that I think insurance companies um, kind of realize that this is a way to um, decrease the demands on like our primary care physicians and our hospital systems um, by allowing us as like non-physicians um, to have access to patients and to, for them to have access to us easier. I, I do know like even, even other providers, uh, not all of them had access across the board to telehealth services for all insurance companies. Um, and that was kind of one thing right off the bat that I was hearing from others on, on kind of business updates that um, health, the healthcare industry in terms of telehealth was going to be a permanent change that was going to occur. Um, just because to a certain extent, if you think about it, how, how many times does your doctor actually put their hands on you to you're having a cough or you have the, you know, they're asking you about your symptoms, what's going on. And then they're, they're coming up with a diagnosis or a plan of attack based on that. Now I know sometimes they need imaging and they need testing and things like that. Um, but it's just, it's a nice process to have that conversation over a video chat rather than doing it in person, having to a, find transportation there, depending on what your situation is, and then be risking coming in contact with all the bad stuff that there is because it's a hospital. Yep. So um, it, it makes a little sense. Now, based on what you said, the question that I had is, so say you have someone coming in normally, they're coming into the clinic, how much improvement would they experience if they had a telehealth appointment, just one, to have them show you how they're doing their exercises at home, um, do you think it? How you know? Do you think it would decrease the amount of visits they would have to do because they are able to do the strengthening exercises correctly at home? Um, are they? You know, I, I'm just I'm just curious how much you think it would help if it was almost like a requirement that like okay you have to do one telehealth visit so that we can see how you're doing your exercises at home to make sure a that you have the right equipment and b that you're doing it right and you're not kind of uh, not remembering how you were showed in the cl clinic something like that. Um, I mean, I think obviously it's a case by case basis, my population, so I treat more of a um, older population, I think for me, it would be super helpful because mm -hmm. I know even though we practice it every time they come to the clinic, even though they have the handouts and even though, I mean, we have some web-based um, therapy programs that can assist us and they send, we can send them a video of the exercise. Um, between the technology and just the setup of some people's condos or their houses. Um, for me, I know it would be beneficial for us to be able to work through stuff in their home. Um, you know, that's a good corner or that's a great doorway um, and being able to actually like see them in their home doing it. Because I tell my patients, you're going to get better when you do your exercises at home, regardless, like, um, 
you know, what, what you're coming in for, you're going to get better faster. If you can continue your therapy, not just the days that you come to the clinic. Um, so I think, I personally think that doing like a telehealth visit where I can see what they're doing or how, what way they need to maneuver with their walker in their house would be, would be helpful. Yeah. And I, I definitely understand that it's probably not ideal to see someone over telehealth, especially for a physical occupation therapy visit. Like a lot of the value that PTs and OTs add is that hands-on touch, whether it's, you know, different modalities or it's soft tissue work or it's certain stretches or like you said, cueing with kind of physical contact that that really kind of drives home how to do a movement pattern um, or your body's just not in the right position. Um, but I guess it's, it's, uh, it's something where if you absolutely need to, it's, it's definitely a good option rather than doing nothing. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, so we're in Wisconsin, Wisconsin winters can be brutal. And for my population, like I get so many cancellations during the winter of people that like, if it's icy out or there's a chance that it's snowing or it is snowing, my patients are afraid to leave. So it would be a way to continue our therapy and keep them moving so that when it, the weather does improve that they can come back and we haven't lost two months of, of progression because the weather wasn't good. That's a really good point. I didn't, I hadn't thought of that at all. Um, in terms of just, just our, all our cancellations and things like that during the winter. Um, so that, I mean, that's, a that's definitely something we'll have to consider. And I think the, the big thing is that the insurance companies have to keep covering it. Um, and especially for, for old, the older population, Medicare is going to maybe have to come back and, um, allow that to still be a thing. Um, even if it's on like, you know, even if it's a reduced visits count over telehealth, um, it still seems like it would be beneficial. Um, and unfor- you know, unfortunately, a lot of other insurance companies follow Medicare's kind of guidance in terms of if Medicare does something, um, other health care or other health insurances will change their policies based on what healthcare is doing or, uh, Medicare is doing. Sorry. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I hope it's here to stay. Um, I think we, we provide a lot of value um, and we found through this process, which it's, it's not great that we're in a pandemic, but if you're looking for a positive, maybe that's a, a positive change that stays. Yep. Yep. Is I mean, it, my biggest thing is that, you know, during what, for whatever reason, if you can't make it to the clinic that you continue to move. Cause I, I mean, even over this whole thing, what I have seen is that my patients that are older, that didn't leave the house, that didn't do exercises in the house, they're struggling now because they've had, they have been immobile. And for us, it is so like movement is medicine for us. So like keeping people moving and yes, you're not going to, maybe they're not walking in the grocery store or going to the malls or more heavily populated areas right now. But the biggest thing that I have seen is that we have to keep these people moving because that movement keeps them healthy. 
now that we've kind of talked about telehealth and what's been going on with that and our opinions on that, uh, I kind of just want to ask kind of how, how are you dealing with, with everything in terms of uh, are you still extremely uh, worried about you and your family getting it? How are you living your day-to-day life? Um, how has it affected you specifically? Um, do you think that we're going to be dealing with this for a long while? Uh, just kind of give me your opinion on that. So I just want to preface this. This is not freedom's opinion. This is just my personal opinion. Um, we, my family and I have continued to be fairly cautious. Um, we are still trying to limit our, um, exposure. Um, we are not going to like any places that have like a lot of people, um, my husband and I are going to stores as we need to, um, but we're wearing masks and we are being very protective as far as like um, hand washing or showering um, when we get back from those places. And as far as my kids, like they, I, they have not really been to a store. I don't intend to take them to a store for a while or other like public places um, just because I feel like we're still in a fairly contagious um time where I, I'm just still hesitant and just more um, protective um, to make sure that I'm keeping us healthy and safe. Um, As far as, you know, I am cautiously optimistic that Wisconsin, um, that we're going to continue to kind of have this downward trend. And I feel like if we continue to have this downward trend with it, I think more people and more businesses will continue to kind of ease the restrictions that are on it. I don't foresee this virus being gone anytime soon. Um, My hope is that we can either find a good treatment for it, which it sounds like they are starting to find those sorts of treatments for it. Um, Hopefully a vaccine will come out. Although, you know, with any vaccine, it's never a hundred percent foolproof. Um, but I think all of those things will just ease my comfort and the general public's comfort um, in this whole kind of COVID pandemic. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is the past couple of weeks when everything has started to reopen, um, and I think by the end of June, kind of early July, I think most things are starting to return to a little bit of normalcy. Um, I'm no CDC expert, no infectious disease expert. So, you know, my opinion doesn't really mean anything in terms of uh, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. But um, at least it seems to me that as long as for now, you know, we're in the middle of summer, they say, you know, all of the experts so far have said that there might be a fall resurgence of the disease, kind of like the flu. Um, everybody gets back together, everybody goes to school, the weather gets a little bit colder. Um, I think at some point, we're going to have to find a way to kind of live with it for a little while. Like you said, I don't think it's going away. Uh, but if we can find some common health precautions, Uh, like mask wearing like it it's annoying but ultimately it's one of the easiest things you can do 
that seems like actually works in terms of preventing the spread of it. So if we're able to go on with our lives and we have to wear masks in public, I, it's not going to be forever, but if it's for the next year or two, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. And obviously everybody I think has gotten a little better at washing their hands and being a little bit more cautious of touching their face and all that stuff. I think it goes a long way. Um, Obviously, I, I'm just hoping that we can find a little bit of a way to live with it without harming too many people in order for life to return and, and people to go back to their jobs and function normally and earn a paycheck, pay all their bills, not have to really be in that constant state of worry about are they going to make the necessary money to cover all of their finances and things like that. So I guess to to summarize my opinion is we just need to find a common sense way, a common set of guidelines to live by for the time being until I I think ultimately a vaccine is going to really help or like you said, some, some treatment that's going to really help. So. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you in that. Um, you know, I think the major ones are wearing masks, washing your hands really well, and just trying to, I mean, just stay socially distant, not be in everybody else's face, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I agree with you that, you know, we have to kind of figure out a way that everybody can agree on that so that we can get back to some sense of normalcy. Yeah. So I, there are. No one generally is very interested in an opinion that's kind of uh, common sense and practical and not leaning one way or the other, but there it is. I I don't know. I'm not that interesting. Um, Other than that is, you know, are there, other than trying to get back to normal in the clinic, is there anything that's really stood out to you in terms of this is this feels a, a ton different than I used to treat, you know, or, or how life was beforehand. Like, I... not really. I mean, I think that, you know, we're just all a little bit more cautious right now. And we're, we're making, I mean, we all washed our hands after each patient and, you know, I mean, but we're just, just being more aware of mm-hmm. what we're touching and things that we've touched or our patient has touched that we need to make sure that we wipe down afterwards um not that we wouldn't do these things beforehand but just it's more on our radar now to make sure that we are like a hundred percent covering all of our bases all right so i guess unless you have any major takeaway points or things that you want to promote or (laughs) whatever you want to do uh i think we'll we'll end it here we've kind of gone on for a little bit but uh, hopefully you enjoyed our little bit of uh, talk on kind of just what it's been like to be a PT and, or an OT or work in a physical therapy or healthcare setting for um, the past couple of months. Um, hopefully it gives you some insight if you were interested at all. And uh, I guess what I'd like to say is that if you've been enjoying our podcast or you've found a couple episodes that have helped you or that you're interested in, we've got a couple of them. Um, on specific conditions like plantar fasciitis, um, uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, 
things that are very wide ranging. And then we've also had talks with a couple doctors about ACL surgeries and things like that. So, uh, go back through our, our library of podcasts. It's, it's slowly growing and we're trying to get interesting people on to talk about interesting, uh, PTOT health and science topics. Um, give it a listen. Uh, if you like them, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star review uh, or a comment either on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and we hope that everyone has a wonderful day. So thanks, for Molly, for coming on, and uh, have a good weekend. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, an independent provider of comprehensive physical and occupational services. No matter how challenging your issues, if other treatments have failed, we are determined to help you heal starting with the very first visit. Four convenient locations in the Milwaukee area. More information at freedompt.com.